Good morning. It is great to see all of you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Please turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue in verse 9. We've been in verse 9 for a week or two, and we're going to, Lord willing, finish that up today. Um, many of you are new, whether you be college or other new faces, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, my name is Brian Counts, and I'm the new uh, pastor here at Clemson. So glad to be here. Uh, so glad to have the college students. One thing that we looked forward to in coming was being in a college town. And just one quick story about what Mark was saying with the um, adoptive student. So I grew up in Greenville. I've been in Colorado for 18 years at a church, and we had two good friends. We had many good friends, but two of our good friends at the church were two women, two sisters, and they were our good friends. So they heard before a lot of the rest of the church that we were praying and processing about a call to Clemson Prez. And they said, Clemson Prez, we went to SWU, we played volleyball, and the Criders adopted us and loved us. So it's just a cool story about how God brings people to us in a wonderful but sometimes difficult part of life, and we have an opportunity to love them well and send them out all over the country. So it was just a wonderful confirmation to us about the way God had used this church, even in the lives of our friends out in Colorado. So you're coming in at a good time, whether you're college or not. Uh, we're starting the fall. You're hearing a lot of announcements about things starting back, and it's really good. This church has kind of been on its back foot for a couple of years because of pandemic and transitions and all sorts of things, and it's an exciting time to think about going forward, to think about not forgetting that we are weak in and of ourselves and going forward in God's strength, but a great time to get signed up for small groups, to get signed up to serve, to bring your children, to take advantage of all that God might do through us. And also, if you're coming in, you're only on your third week of a two-month series in the Lord's Prayer, so you're not too late to jump in. Uh, we're really looking to do two things through this uh, series on the Lord's Prayer. We're looking to learn better how to pray, and then we're also looking to hear what Jesus cares about. Because when he says, pray then like this, and he gives us six things in this prayer to pray about, they must be near and dear to his heart. And if they are, then shouldn't that shape the way we do go forward together into the fall and the next year and the years to come as a church, that we might care as individuals, as families, as a church about these things that Jesus cares about as well. So that's what we're looking to do. And one way we're looking to do that, to go forward together and to learn this as we go, is to use these prayer prompts. And what I mean by that is each week we're going to have three to five maybe different prayer prompts, and you can get them one of two ways. You can either pick them up at the info booth as you leave. They're on a piece of paper if you like paper. Or if you use a smartphone, you can download our church app, and you can get them that way. And through the church app, they will be delivered at the same time to everyone in the church all together. And so it's a moment for us to think, hey, along with my whole church family, I can stop and pray about these things that we learned and saw in the Lord's Prayer the last Sunday. So last week, we prayed through our Father in heaven, and you got three prayer prompts about that. They were each one different than the previous, like Monday was different, Wednesday was different, Friday was different. This week, there'll still be three, but they'll all be the same because it's something we need to keep praying through. And so if you don't have our church app, you can go to whatever app store you use. You can download the app. You can search for Clemson Prez and find it. And then when you get the app, you're going to want to go to settings and then click notifications and then make sure that you have prayer notifications there. We don't want to bombard anybody with every notification in the world who gets our app. So you have to opt in. One way we want to respect how you use the app. But please uh, 
uh, think about that if you haven't done it yet. Last week, we had 100 new people sign up to pray with us through that, which I thought was really, really great and a huge uh, answer to prayer as well. So, uh, last week, we really uh, just got to start uh, the first of these six things that Jesus says we can pray about in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about our Father in heaven, which is, of course, the opening or the greeting to the Lord's Prayer. And as we go, we'll see that uh, greeting is followed up by five different requests. First, that we're going to look at today, hallowed be your name. Second, your kingdom come. And then third, give us our daily bread. Fourth, forgive us our debts. And fifth, lead us not into temptation. And we talked about how each one of these aren't meant just to be recited, although that's good. It's a good way to remember it and a good way just to pray when we don't know how else to pray. But each one is meant, I think, to be a jumping off place. And a lot of the way I think about this has been shaped by a man named Randy Pope, if you've heard his sermons on that. I know some of you have. They're meant to spur us on to pray about that very short greeting or one of these very short five requests in the prayer as well. So when we pray our Father in heaven, it's not just words that we say, but it helps us to remember that God wants to hear us. Because if he's our Father and we're his son, then he wants to hear us. And if he's our Father in heaven, then he can help us, right? And so sometimes we have to pause in prayer and not just say the words, but remember, you are my Father. You've done everything needed to bring me as close as a son, and you are in heaven. So everything on my heart, you can help with. But you're a Father, so you're going to help in the best way, not necessarily my agenda, but yours. And you can hear how you can pray about that for a minute. It could be as short as what I just said, or you could go two and three hours on those themes. You're jumping off from there into praying about your Father in heaven. So that was last week. This week is, like we said, the first request of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. So if you look with me in your scripture there, whether it's on print or on a screen, this is God's word for us today. Let's read all of Matthew 6, verse 9. This is God's word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come, our prayer is just like the prayer in the Gospel of Luke from those who followed you. Our prayer is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. All of us who have walked with you for any length of time can grow frustrated and weary with our prayer life. We think we're not doing it right. We're distracted. We wonder if you're even listening. So I pray that you would renew our sense of how much you love us, and how much you smile at us through the work of Jesus for us so that we might be drawn to pray to you and pour out our hearts and learn how to converse with you through this prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I went to uh, seminary a little over 20 years back. Time flies. Uh, I grew up in Greenville, just down the road, went to St. Louis to go to school, and then from there I went to Colorado. But before I went to seminary, I still lived in Greenville, and I taught at a Christian school there, and I taught high school. And one of the things I got to do was to be the chaperone on a trip to Washington, D.C. with a bus full of high school students. And so we toured all around, and it's one of those tours you come back from and you need a vacation because you're so tired. You've walked what feels like all over creation, and you've seen so many, if you've been to D.C., and I'm, I'm sure many of you have, you see so many awe-inducing things there, right? The buildings, the monuments are designed to provoke 
from you a sense of respect and a sense of regard for what they point to. And on that trip, the thing that actually produced the most impact in me, that weighed on me the most, was going to the Holocaust Museum. Of course, not for a sense of, isn't this so great, but for a sense of, oh my goodness, this is a sense of it provoking awe in me, because this is not something I can take casually, right? Because everything, if you've been there, you know everything about the museum is designed to bring you more face-to-face with this terrible chapter in human history. You go up and you start at the fourth floor. You know, most museums you start on the ground floor. Well, this one you start at the fourth floor and you go down to make you think of this terrible descent. And you start in the 30s as things begin to pick up in Germany and all the rhetoric and all the ads and everything else that the Nazis used. And then you go down a level and things get worse and you learn about the ghettos and you learn about the final solution. And there's terrible things like replicas of boxcars and piles of their actual shoes and suitcases that they would surrender, the names etched in glass, all of these things designed to provoke something in you, right? To provoke of, take this seriously. This should not be forgotten. Don't take this casually. And it's having this impact on me, and it's making me quieter and quieter. It's, you know, all these different feelings, and I can tell it's having an impact on our students as well, except for two of them. Two of them breezed past every pile of personal effects They laughed and cut up past every exhibit, everything designed to provoke something in them. They were not having their emotional needle moved at all. And it got to where at first it just kind of bugged me, and then I'm really getting bugged by it. Like, come on, y'all. Don't just laugh and cut up, right? Look what's in front of you, right? So we finished the tour, and we come out from this terrible museum in some ways, (laughs) and we go out into this gorgeous sunny day, On the National Mall, there's all this beauty, there's all this wonderful things about us, and it was just hard to reconcile all these terrible things we had seen with this gorgeous weather and all this national beauty around us, and we're thinking, man, we're just kind of quiet and reflective as we walk along, except for the two girls. They had gone from laughing and cutting up to whining and complaining, because yes, the museum tour had pushed us past our lunchtime, and they were hungry. And they were letting us know they did not like that museum because it made them miss their lunch. And by the way, we're really tired of walking in their feet hurt. And whether my anger was righteous or not, the Lord will be the judge. I confess before you, my expression of my anger was not righteous because I snapped at them. Like, what are you talking about? Your late lunch. We just learned about women and children and showers and gas chambers. And who cares about your lunch? Right? I had this reaction. It just came out of me, and I've thought about that a lot because there was this terrible gravity and weight to what we had seen that they just seemed to totally miss. And have you ever been in a spot like that before where something moved you? And it could have been something terrible, like the Holocaust Museum, or you could have been moved by something beautiful, something amazing, something that is long-lasting or took a lot of talent and skill to produce. There could be all these things that provoke in you a sense of, this thing is important. Don't miss this. This is weighty, right? I should have a high regard and respect for this. That could be produced by any number of things. And when you're moved by that, 
by that priority and that respect that you can have for that. And someone just goes, eh. Doesn't it kind of bug you? Don't you want to say, wait, look at this. Let this shape you. Let this move you. Because there are some things that just demand respect and veneration and demand to be taken seriously. Now, why in the world tell you that story about the Holocaust Museum? You're like, I thought we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. Because I think the Lord's Prayer is meant to work on that kind of level. I think Jesus says the very first thing that you pray about is that you can be reoriented to the most profound and meaningful and weighty truth and reality of life that there can be. So let's begin to see how that works as we look at two points. First, why pray about this? And second, how do we pray about this? So first, let's think about why even pray this prayer, Lord, hallowed be your name. Well, I think to understand why pray it, we have to even stop and say, hallowed? Raise your hand if you use that word this week. Raise your hand if you use that word this month or this year or ever, aside from maybe the last book of the Harry Potter series, Hallows, which isn't even the same thing. Hallowed is just not a word we ever say unless we recite the Lord's Prayer. So it's a strange word to us. And most people, when they think about it or understand it, they think about, well, maybe it's kind of like the word holy, hallowed and holy. And it is. They have the same root or background or same word family, however you want to think about it. Some translations even make this prayer or translate this prayer to say, Lord, may your name be kept holy. And holy is a little more common, especially if you've grown up around church. And when we think about the word holy, you know, we think about morally perfect, right? We think about without sin. We think about God's righteousness. We think about his perfection. We think about how he is without guilt or corruption. And holy and hallowed don't mean less than that. That's not a bad thing to associate hallowed with. But I want to tell you this morning, hallowed is not less than that, but it's more than that. This word that is translated hallowed here in this verse sometimes is translated as consecrated. And consecrated, again, Raise your hand if you used that word this week. No. So let me back up and try to explain what consecrated means. Consecrated means set apart. Something is sacred. Something is special, right? It's set apart. And the word holy, when it's translated in the Old Testament, again, holy and hallowed go together. Holy is not just without sin or meaning righteousness. Holy can mean commanding respect, awesome, something singled out something to revere. Holy, holy, holy is God. He is, yes, morally perfect and righteous, but he commands respect. He's awesome. He's singled out. And if you put all this together to try to get your arms around what does hallowed mean, it means something that, you've, that you set apart as special, that you venerate, that you give it respect, or you give it weight, right? You give it weight. You say, this is a profound and meaningful thing. You take it seriously, Father, hallowed be your name. It's the opposite of being casual or indifferent or apathetic. So, hallowed, yes, holy, but more, set apart, special, make it unique to us. Let us feel the, prof the profound, meaningful weight of who God is. And so, why do we need to pray that? Because all of us set something apart as holy. Whether or not you know it, whether you're a Christian or not, you hallow something. You hallow something. It's something about our humanity, I think, that we actually can't turn off. 
We're always setting something apart as special. We're always wanting to give weight and respect to something. And now you could make an argument that says, oh, come on, modern people, we don't treat anything very seriously. We're apathetic and indifferent about pretty much everything, right? And while, yes, we do treat perhaps less things as special and weighty than we used to, I have more than a hunch that, like I said, we've all got something. We've all got something that if it's treated lightly by somebody else, it bugs us or it makes us angry or we want to say, look, this is important. We would never say sacred, but that's in effect how we act because let me think of it this way. What does produce that emotional reaction in you when it's taken lightly? What gets at you when someone is casual or indifferent about something you care about? What is that thing? That's the thing you hallow. That's the thing you hallow. And it could be as simple as your job, right? Some of us can take our jobs way too seriously. Maybe it's an accomplishment that you got at work, an achievement. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's just your profession in general. And when someone insults it or thinks it's no big deal, man, that sticks under your craw. That's not a bad thing to want to give respect to and to want someone to appreciate what you do, right? But I'm talking about when you have an overreaction when someone dismisses or disrespects your accomplishments, your achievements, your job. When you can't forget it a week later, a month later, years later, then you've got to say, God, I think I'm more than just respecting this. I'm hallowing this. I'm setting it apart as very special. It could be your job. It could be when someone lacks respect for where you're from. You ever felt that? You say, I'm from this state, or I'm from this town, or I'm from that neighborhood, or that zip code, and they go, ugh. And it bugs you because you take it seriously. You love that place, and you want them to love it too, and you think this is a great, special, wonderful place wherever it is, and it bugs you when it gets under your skin. And again, nothing wrong with wanting the place you're from to be known and respected, but when it's the overreaction and you can't let it go, it could be your job, it could be where you're from, it could be your family, it could be your favorite sports team. We all get tied up in that sometimes. Your hobby, your school, your, your favorite brands. We get an emotional connection. Advertisers know this and we want it to be taken seriously. I'm someone who uses or buys or does this particular brand and we want that to be taken seriously. You can go a little deeper and say it could be your reputation. And when someone is apathetic or indifferent about your finely crafted reputation, it bugs you. It gets at you, right? But let's go a little deeper still. It could be when someone does not treat as sacred these three things. Think about them closely with me. Your feelings or your needs or your desires. I think when we look back on this time, we'll say, yes, people in North America in those years did not take as seriously what was previously thought of as sacred. They didn't give as much weight to religion or to certain institutions, but they did consider sacred their feelings, their desires, and their needs. Eugene, Eugene Peterson called them the modern holy trinity, our feelings, our desires, and our needs. And it, listen, to have someone understand those three things for you is wonderful. To have someone disregard them or casually dismiss them or demean them, that's not right either. 
But when we say you must venerate, you must respect, you must deal with these things, and they are sacrosanct, and no one can touch them, then you have hallowed something. You've hallowed your feelings and your desires and your needs. I think this concept of everybody hallows something helps us really understand reality around us. It can help you understand the news and modern-day politics. It can help you understand your family. It can help you understand your emotional life. It can help you understand your choices. It can begin to make sense of the world because, like I said, I think we're all designed and made to hallow something. And, of course, in the story of the Bible, it was God himself we were made to hallow, right? We were meant to set him apart, to revere and respect him. But when we chose to sin, to go our own way as a race, then we still have to hallow something. We can't turn that part off. The problem is we're hallowing and respecting and revering the wrong things. And so we need to pray this because we need to be reoriented to hallowing God's name. Because when we don't, all sorts of dysfunction and trouble come, right? I mean, think of all the trouble in your relationships just from when someone else in the relationship or you hallows the wrong thing, like we're talking about. That everything gets out of whack. We get angry and all the destruction in relationships that come through that. And we're kind of like the girls in the museum. We're going through life through the museum and we're missing the central thing. Or we're making too much of the wrong thing. And it causes all sorts of problems and consternation and difficulty, right? That's why we need to pray this, because the consequences of getting it wrong affect everything, all right? So that's why, but what about how? When it comes to this being like a jumping off place in prayer, how are we supposed to pray, hallowed be your name? He could have just said, be hallowed, or hallowed be God, but he said name. Why did he say name? Because when you and I say name, what we mean is a combination of sounds or letters that refers to a person. You know, there's just a combination of what comes through the letters of your word, and that's your name. But in the Bible, God's name is so much more than just the sounds we refer to him by. Like if you think about certain verses like Psalm 20, verse 7, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't trust in the sound of the letters, but we trust in his name. It means we trust actually in everything about him. Because his name stands for not just his identity or what we call him. God's name stands for his actions, his attributes, his words, everything that is true about God. So, God, may your name be hallowed, everything about you. Lloyd-Jones said it this way, God's name means all that is true of God and all that has been revealed concerning God. It means God and all his attributes, God in all that he is in and of himself, and God in all that he has done and all that he is doing. That's a lot. God's name refers to everything about him, what he's like, what he does, what he says, what he's promised, what he's going to do. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, what are we praying? Start to put it all together. God made everything about you be respected. May everything about you be taken seriously. God, may you be given weight and gravity. 
It's a profound thing to pray. Now it's not just, Father, hallowed be your name, which is just religious-sounding words you've maybe said your whole life if you've grown up in church and never really thought about. Now, this is a profound and meaningful thing to pray, to jump off from. God, could everything about you be taken seriously? In all parts of my life, in all parts of the world, in all my relationships, in everyone I know, And so, for instance, what you're praying is, God, may your holiness and your moral perfection and your righteousness be taken seriously. Because again, hallowed and holy, we sometimes put that together. And yes, we are praying for that. We are praying that the justice and judgment that comes from his moral perfection and righteousness would be taken seriously. Because too often we functionally act and feel, myself included, that God's standard of right and wrong, surely it matches mine. Or surely it matches the cultures around me. Surely it matches what the world must think. Surely what God thinks is right and wrong has to line up with what everybody thinks. Surely what God thinks has to be what the majority of people think. But when we say it that way, doesn't that really make no sense at all? Because do we always really trust the majority? Because Going back to Germany, the majority of people thought this was a great idea in the 1930s and 40s, what led to the Holocaust Museum. We can't trust what the world says is right and wrong. We can't trust the majority. We can't even trust ourselves because so often what we think is right and wrong just is trying to justify a course of action that we really want. All of us have been in that spot. So to pray, God, may your name be hallowed is to pray, may God, your standards be taken seriously in my life in the world, everywhere. And may people then have the proper respect and reverence for you that come from that when they realize they don't match up, just like I don't match up. But when we pray for his name, everything about him, to be highly regarded, then aren't we praying for more than just his moral perfection and righteousness to be taken seriously? Because that's a wonderful, true part of God, but that's not everything about him. Aren't we also praying that his grace would be taken seriously? Aren't we praying that his grace would be respected and received and owned by those who need it, ourselves included? Because yes, the central message of the Bible is that we all fall short. Every single one of us, we fall short of that moral perfection and righteousness and standard of God. But God can and does forgive us Only through faith. We don't have to earn it. So much so that even like we said last week, we're brought in as close as sons. He brings us all the way in because no sin, no matter how bad, is beyond God's ability to forgive. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've seen, God says, We can restore the relationship. I've done everything necessary. I've sent my son to die in your place, to take the punishment that sin deserved, and then to give you my righteousness, and then to be uh, put to death on a cross and to be resurrected, and for that new life to be shared with you. No sin is beyond God's ability to forgive and to have a face-to-face relationship with you. But do we not have a hard time taking that seriously sometimes? Because haven't you said sometimes like I have, Lord, I know you can forgive me and you do forgive me, but how can I ever forgive myself? And do you hear what we're really saying when we say that? We're saying, God, my judgment of myself matters more than your judgment. God, you might forgive me, but I don't. 
And that's what really matters because I don't feel forgiven because I can't rejoice in your love because I know how bad it was and I'm really dirty and I can't be forgiven. But if we are to say, God, your name be hallowed, everything about you, that means his grace too. We want to trust and revel and take as very serious everything about him. Like, do you think God is really happy when someone comes to give weight and respect to his moral standard and perfection, but not the gospel, but not his grace, but not take the cross seriously, not give it its proper weight and gravity and respect? No, of course not. He wants us to take everything about him with great regard and respect and very seriously. And you think, that just sounds mushy. I think God is just somebody you tremble in front of. And if you ever feel love, then you're probably just wrong. <laughs> you're probably just supposed to feel bad. And you think, that's just mushy. Well, listen to John Owen, who is not mushy, if you know anything about John Owen. He's been dead several hundred years. He's not mushy, all right? He says, the greatest burden you can lay on the Father is not to believe He loves you. Think about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The greatest burden you can lay on him is not to believe he loves you. God wants that part of his name and his character. He wants you to give it weight. And so sometimes when you say hallowed be your name, that's going to produce in you a sense of fear and trembling. Sometimes it's going to produce in you a sense of worship and awe. Sometimes it's going to produce in you repentance when you take his name seriously. Sometimes it's going to produce in you joy because it's true. God is better than you think. His grace is more wonderful than you can imagine. Sometimes it will provoke comfort when you take God at his word. God, hallowed be your name. Many have said, and I think they're right, that this is just a request for God's reputation to be enhanced. And that's right. This is a request, God, please enhance your reputation in my life. And not any different than how it actually is. Because we're not praying, God, would you make your name holy because it's not right now. We're praying, God, help us to see reality. This is not a prayer for reality to change. This is a prayer for us to see it and to come in touch with it and to be affected and impacted in our feelings and in our actions and you see now why this is the first request, right? Why does Jesus say, hallowed be your name first? Because this is going to reorient us to everything important. This is going to crack open our hard hearts, open up our closed hands, and say, God, you are the most profound and meaningful thing that there is. Because sometimes, if you're like me, your prayer life is really just, hey, God, please take seriously the things I take seriously. God, would you please hallow the things I hallow? Would you please take care of my job and my future and my kids? And here's all my agendas, that is to say the things I think are really important. Now, God, go hallow that. And God says, no, start with me. Start with hallowing and respecting who I am. And that will crack open your heart and open up your hands. Now, like we said, this is a jumping off place in our prayers, right? So what does that look like? Well, pray it for your own life. Where do you not take God at his word? Where does the truth about who he is and what he does and what he promises, where is it not changing your feelings? Where is it not changing your actions? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, but sanctify, and that's the same word in the original as hallow, 
But sanctify God in your hearts. Hallow God in your hearts. It starts with our own lives. And there's all sorts of things we can pray about then, isn't there? Now we're confessing sin. God, here are the places where I don't hallow your name. God, would you please help me? I know you want to hear me talk about it, and I know you can help me. So help me take you at your word. It means praying for obedience for all the right reasons, right? Sometimes we fear obedience because it means a loss of the modern Holy Trinity. If I obey God, I'm going to lose out on my feelings and my desires and my needs. And God says, no, actually, obedience for the right reasons is the way to be happy. That's the true path to happiness right there. You can pray, God, hallowed be your name when you're in a difficult situation and you don't know which way to go. God, would you just be taken seriously in this whole thing? I just lay it out before you and pray that you would get glory for all of this. What part of God's character or actions or promise is hardest for you to believe? Pray that his name would be hallowed right there in the place where it's hardest to believe. You can look at your schedule for the day, your appointments, your classes for the semester, and you can say, God, would you be hallowed in all of this? Here's what I've got today. Here's my to-do list. I don't want to just do it for my reasons. I want you to get glory for it. You can pray it about yourself. You can pray this for others. God, would you be hallowed in my children's lives? Would you be taken seriously in my friends' lives? Would you be respected and known by my lost friends who don't know you yet? You can pray this for others. You can pray this for our church, that what we say and do as a church would let God be known, right? And what you're going to want to do is somehow keep track of that, I think. It's a great thing just to be able to pray on your way, and you can do that. You can shoot up short prayers as you walk into a meeting. God, would your name be hallowed in everything about this? Or maybe you're going to want to keep a record. For me, I use a little notebook, and I've got a few pages for each one of these parts of the Lord's Prayer. And I put down some scriptures, or I put down some sins I confess, or I put down some things I can trust, or I can put down some requests. And it can be paper, it can be a note on your phone, it can be a notebook, it can be a note card, it can be whatever, but you're going to want to pray through these things, and it begins to help you jump off from that place and pray. And you can do it for 30 seconds, or you can do it for an hour, whatever it might be. And that's what I hope our prayer prompts will do this week. Here's what you're going to get, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, or pick up in the back. It's going to say, Our Father in heaven, to remind us of what we saw last week, hallowed be your name. And then spend some time praising God that everything about Him is worth respecting. So it's going to open up your heart to Him in worship. And then you can spend some time, the prayer prompt will say, confessing ways you don't take all the things about God seriously and all the dysfunction that results. And then it will say, spend some time praying that all of God would be taken seriously in your life, in the lives of those you care about, and throughout the world. And let me just leave you with this. Where can I get the motivation to pray like this? Where can you get the motivation? We could just say, why bother, right? Our motivation comes from the one who taught us to pray this, the one who said, hallowed be your name, who is the very one that you and I so often, sadly, have treated casually. We've treated things about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit with a, eh, and we've done it out loud or even just in how we actually choose to act. And you might know, I think we all do, how it feels when something about you that you think is worth respect or worth care from someone is dismissed. 
it hurts, doesn't it? That can be one of the hardest things to forgive. When you're not taken seriously and the things you take seriously aren't taken seriously, it can be hard to let that go. It can be hard to forgive. But now put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He's the one who's been treated casually and indifferently and apathetically by us. We ignored his words, but he graciously opens our ears and our hearts. We disregard and we treat his actions, his death, his, uh, his uh, resurrection, we treat them lightly. And then we treat as sacred our plans and priorities and not him, but he's patient. The one who taught us to pray this, who we treat indifferently, forgives and loves and says, pray this, I'm with you in it. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just close right now by asking that you would teach us to pray. Teach us to take these words and to let them be a searchlight in our hearts, to see the places, Lord, where we hallow the wrong things. And Lord, may you become so wonderful and beautiful and tremendous and awe-inspiring to us that we hallow everything about you and everything we do as, as individuals, everything we do as a church, Father, would you hallow your name? And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.